It's apparently time to hear from an educated melanin queen, wife, and boy mom, keeping it real about the joys and struggles of parenthood. Discover how to stay true to you while navigating your romantic relationships, work life, friendships, the single life, and parenthood. Although you may gain some useful tips while listening to this podcast, please remember that this does not replace the support you'd receive from sessions with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, what's up, everyone? And welcome to another episode of It's Apparently Time podcast. Well, I, your host, Hazel, will be keeping it real. For those of you listening for the first time, I just want to say welcome. And I hope that whatever stage you're in in your life, whether dating, single, married, pregnant, or just trying to be the best you, that you'll enjoy today's episode and decide to come back for more. Now, to my regular listeners, thank you so much for your support. Please be sure to continue to share, subscribe, like, and leave your positive reviews. And if there's a topic you would like for me to discuss, you can send it to me on Instagram at It's Apparently Time. And that's I-T-S-A-P-A-R-E-N-T-L-Y-T-I-M-E. Lastly, for those of you who would like to make a donation towards the production and advancement of this podcast, go ahead and click the link that says support and know that your contribution is greatly appreciated. All right, so let's jump right into our conversation for today. Keeping intimacy alive. How is it done once the baby arrives? It can definitely be a struggle to realign and figure yourselves out after experiencing this major life transition. The birth of a child is exciting, but can also be disruptive to the balance that you've worked to establish prior to their birth. So how do we do this? How do you get back to a place of being able to prioritize the needs of your marriage or your relationship? Here to help me with this conversation is a fellow marriage and family therapist, Melissa Callahan. Thanks, Hazel. I'm excited to be here today. Yes, I'm happy to have you as well. And the reason why we're smiling so hard is because we did like this entire intro and I forgot to hit record. (laughs) Because that is podcast life. Yeah. Um, and that is the virtual world that we're all living in in 2020 and 2021, apparently. Yep. So it's all good. Yep. Um, but I'm, ex- I'm excited to be here. As Hazel mentioned, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapy, uh, marriage and family therapist with her and clinical supervisor. And similar to her, I see the value in attachment and family and couples and the importance of secure and healthy connections with each other. And so I'm excited to see where our conversation takes us. Yes. So to start us off, the first question I feel like is very important to address is what is attachment and why is it important? Attachment is, is very, um, it is, it seems like it's the hot topic right now, but I think it's been the hot topic for uh, decades and decades because it should be, because it's so important in relationships. Um, And so attachment, you know, there's two aspects of attachment we could talk about. We could talk about it in adult relationships, but then we can also talk about it when it comes to the attachment between the parent and the child, which are both relevant to your good work, Hazel. Right, right. Yeah. Because when I think about, you know, being in a relationship and kind of 
what you need to do to keep it going, to keep the romance alive. Because you hear of a lot of couples where they say like, oh, by the time our child leaves and goes to college, we feel like we're two strangers that's been living together all this time because so much of the focus has been placed on the children. So like, how do we go about kind of fostering that that relationship, the husband-wife? Because like we learned about in school, and this is something that I believe is very important. And and I say this, you know, with the couples I work with is that, yeah, you're mom and dad or you're the parents, but at the foundation of that is the husband-wife relationship or, or the partner-partner relationship. Because yeah. if that falls apart, it's going to be really hard to work together to be the parents that your children need you to be. So how does how do you feel like your attachment style affects the way you relate to each other. Yeah. So to go into that, because I absolutely agree with you, right? Like our relationship with our partner is the glue of the family. And if that glue has cracks in it or it's getting loose, we have to find our way to come back together to keep the family unit strong. So to speak a little bit more about attachment and the origins of it specifically is the attachment is that emotional bond that is created between a parent and a child during birth and those early years when the brain is creating all its synapses and the relational programming. And that is where our map and model of how we connect to other people, how we create bonds with other people begin. Mm -hmm. And so depending on how you connect with your parent and your caregiver as a child, it is going to have an impact on your partner selection, which seems crazy, right? Like that is, that is, it starts then. Like it starts then the way that you connect and the way that you create a bond, which like, so there's a different few attachment styles, but they go into two groups, the secure attachment and the insecure attachment. Mm -hmm. And so if you do not create a secure bond with your caregiver, when you are a baby, you create an insecure bond, which means you can be more anxious in relationships or you could be more avoidant in relationships. And how you adapt to that relationship with your parent is exactly how you're going to create a relationship with your partner as an adult. Mm-hmm. And so understanding the way that you felt connected to your parent growing up is going to help you know how you connect with your partner. And that is going to help you figure out how to move through conflict, how to have important conversations about intimacy and connection. And it's going to trickle down in how you create a bond with your new baby in your family. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I guess I'm curious, like, at what point does one start to question their attachment style and how that's kind of playing out in their relationship? Because I can think like, we can have some really awesome relationships with our parents and our family of origin, but then we can have some really sucky ones. And I think of like when people say like people who are dating is like, why do I keep dating the same person? Like what's going on? Um, And in one of my other episodes, I had talked about like, if you keep ending up with the same type of person at some point, you're going to have to ask your question, yourself the question, um, what's going on with me? So like a part of it may actually be them, but at some point you have to say to yourself, okay, what's going on with me? Do some, you know, self-reflection. So Absolutely. Like, mm-hmm. what, how do you think that plays out? 
Well, so like you're saying, every relationship is co-created. So you might be picking some partners that aren't great for you, but you're the one picking them. Yeah. And so you have, you have to look at like, what is drawing me and what is attracting me to this type of person, right? A common one is I go for emotionally unavailable people. Well, ooh, what's that about? Mm-hmm. And I do think that looking at the origins of your emotional relationships can help you understand how you connect with important people in your life. And so if I boil it down to how do you know if you feel secure in your emotional bonds, it's do you feel like someone is emotionally available and responsive and engaged to your needs? Mm -hmm. This doesn't mean that they always agree. It doesn't mean that they always, that there isn't conflict, but it's do you, can you feel like if you were to raise your hand, literally or figuratively and say, I'm struggling, I need something, or I'm experiencing discomfort because of what's happening between the two of you, that this other person is going to be open and curious and want to process that with you. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, a lot a lot of people come from homes where parents aren't always open to those kinds of conversations. They highlight behavior, they highlight, oh, get over it, suck it up, you know, an old one, uh, man up it's going to be okay, you're fine. So belittling a child's emotions can give them the message that they should deal with it more on their own or hide it. Mm-hmm. And that's the stuff that in that's the way that we adapt to, okay, well, let me be the version of myself for my parent that is easier for them. So I still feel loved and accepted. And then that is what trickles into these partnerships as adults and say, Ooh, am I not communicating openly? Because I learned a long time ago but that's not really something I'm allowed to do. Right. I think about it even like as you become maybe even a teenager into like young adult life, um, one that you might hear, one that I've heard, you know, from people that look like me is, oh, well, you're being disrespectful. You know, Mm. I'm your mom, I'm your dad. You don't get to talk to me that way. But it's not even about being disrespectful. It's more so, I'm trying to show that I'm an individual person and I'm trying to kind of navigate knowing how to communicate effectively, how to connect with people in a way that's healthy for me. So to hear that message repeatedly of when I try to do that, it's wrong or I'm doing something wrong. I can understand how that continues to feed into like this unhealthy attachment or insecure attachment as you would um, call it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Culture and race and ethnicity has a huge impact on the way that we 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 attach. And I think kind of diving into an important aspect of our conversation is that I please don't quote me on this, but I know I'm close in this statistic. It's some statistic like 70 percent. You are 70 percent likely to pass down your attachment style to your children. Mm. So that is why understanding the way that you connected with your parent is going to help you no, hey, I was securely attached to my parent. I'm going to keep doing that. Or wow, there was not a secure attachment between me and my parent. How do I not only repair this for to create security with my child, but how do I then create it with between me and my partner so that we can navigate the challenges of parenthood and our intimacy together? Right, right. You made me think of uh, that, I guess, that meme or that uh, quote that's been going around that says, I'm in therapy because the people in my life <laughs> didn't want to go. So I'm here you now trying to fix this stuff so I can like break that cycle so I don't pass yes. this on from generation to generation. You're right. I mean, that's the truth. And, you mm-hmm. know, I, I 
ultimately at my core is about compassion for people. And so I do believe everyone's doing the best they can with the information and skills they've got. Um, but sometimes our parents don't have the right skills and information to know how to meet our needs as children. So we adapt, we shift, we mold. And then that informs the way that we connect with our partner. And then there is nothing that's going to make that kind of get set on fire, like having a baby, because all of our attachment pain comes to the forefront as you have this new little baby in your hands. Right, right. Yeah. So how does that, I I feel like this is a perfect segue into the next question. Like when you have the birth of your child, how do you go about um, kind of attaching to them in a way that is healthy, is secure? Yeah, I think that one of the things that you to look at is this idea of I want to be secure attachment is about being a safe haven for your child to come to, which is a bit easier when they're a baby, right? Because you are their whole world, particularly as a mom, they only know their world was the inside of you before it wasn't. So they lean into a lot. But even as they go through the development of stages of becoming a toddler and a child, adolescent, and even as an adult, how do I still demonstrate that I am a safe haven and secure base for them? Mm-hmm. So I don't want to be so clingy. And so I don't want to meet all of their needs every second of the day. Because if I do that, then they're not going to learn how to navigate the challenges of life, whether it's falling down on their knee, or having a fight with their uh, friends in high school, right? How do I give them enough space to do things in their way, learn and grow, but also they are so secure and aware that I'm waiting right here for them to come back and I can nurture them and kind of shore them up with all their resources and resiliency. You, so, you know, in light of everything that's happened this week, that transpired, um, in terms of what we're seeing, what happened, you know, in our name, capital. capital. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you just made me think of it. It made me think of when we look at the basic um, skills and uh, lessons that we teach our kids. One of them is it's okay to lose. Yes. It's okay Ooh. to be second place. And even if you do, I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to hold you. I'm still going to respect you the way that you deserve to be. And I feel like that goes right back to that secure attachment. When you're secure in that, when you're, when you're, you as a parent are secure in your attachment and you teach those skills to your kids and they are now secure in their attachment, they don't have to fear that mommy and daddy or grandma or whoever won't love them anymore because they didn't come in first place. You know, I feel like that's such a basic (laughs) lesson. And that's kind of what we've seen on display um, Mm -hmm. this week. Yeah, I mean, you and I can go off about what has happened in our nation's capital, and clearly the mental health and unhingedness and just completely not okay actions by the person that's supposed to be in leadership right now. Um, But I would say that that all comes down to mental health, just like you're saying that if a person does not if our children don't know that they can fall down, they can mess up, that they don't have to win and be first place in everything, but they are still loved for who they are, not what they do and what they achieved. That's the greatest gift that we can give them. Right. Right. And it's hard to give that if you don't have that within yourself. Right. 
That's why we need to go to therapy. We need to normalize <laughs> going to therapy. Go ahead yes. and get to a licensed marriage and family therapist. <laughs> right, because what I love about marriage and family therapists specifically is that we have been trained by our through our graduate experience as well as our postgraduate experience and our supervision to look at the origins of things and the patterns so that we can make changes and attachment and the way that we connect with our partner and our new children and our family is right in line with all of that. Like just trying to understand how do I connect with others? Do I feel safe showing all parts of myself because I know that I'm still worthy of love and affection? And unfortunately, a lot of us haven't, didn't get that sense of self early on in life so we have to find it by going to therapy later on in the years right and like when we come to you as at least in our program when we come to you as licensed marriage family therapists we had to do this work we had to do what we're what we're asking you to do when you show up for your therapy sessions we Mm -hmm. have time to reflect we had to dig deep we had to look at the the family secrets and the family rules and kind of how that all played out into now are as people in these programs going out to help other people heal. So I feel like that's very important. Yep, you're absolutely right. And so mm-hmm. it's okay. And it's okay that we don't realize all of this until a baby is born too, right? right? It's okay that you, it's, I know for me, so I have two kids just like Hazel here and they're young and there is nothing like ha- having a new child that brings your attachment pain the way that you connected with your parents alive and well even Mm. though you're like an adult and you're like I'm over that I've gone to my therapy there's nothing like it coming right back to the surface like having your own child and thinking I want to do everything for you to protect you and love you but it might remind you of the ways that you didn't feel protected and loved right right which may impact the way that you connect with your partner too because then the world feels a little less safe Mm -hmm. and you push away so let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. What does your work look like? Well, I guess it's a two-part question. Have you, you know, had an experience working with couples who are new parents? And even if you haven't, what would you say is your approach in helping them through that process of keeping the intimacy alive um, as they are kind of adjusting to this new role as parents? Absolutely. I mean, it is important to recognize the the what what uh, the monumental shift that's where I was looking for because that's how big it needs to be mm-hmm. the monumental shift in your life and the way you view the world once you become a parent which might mean that you look at each other differently and so I think honoring the importance of the transition is ultimately the first thing that needs to happen but I don't know about you Hazel I thought I was knew I was what was coming but then it actually happened parenthood and it was I, you can't be prepared until it happens to you. Yeah, the, there's just so many, like you said, there's so many feelings and thoughts and um, there's just so much stuff that comes up for you when you become a parent and you think about like culture and the expectations around that and what what are you supposed to do as a mom? What are you supposed to do as a dad? And that's all dependent on how you were raised and what you observed. And some of that you may say, hey, that doesn't necessarily align with what I want to do. But somewhere in the back of your head, you are putting the pressure on yourself. So I'll talk from like my experience. One of the pressures I had for myself was I wanted to and I needed to breastfeed until my son, my first son was a year, one year old, one years old. 
And for me, even though the experience of it was emotionally draining and pain, it was like literally painful as well. Yeah. I would like sometimes sit there, breastfeed him and cry because I'm like, on one hand, I have this pressure that I have on myself. I want to breastfeed him until he's one. But then on the other hand, I am like literally and physically in pain and it is not enjoyable. It is not a pleasant experience. And we think about how that can impact the connection that you have with your child because something that's supposed to be nourishing and beautiful and a great experience is now being altered into it. You're attaching negative emotion to that. So now you're looking at your child and every time they need to eat, every time they cry, you know, they need to eat. You're immediately in this place of, ugh, that baby, you know, and like being able to work through that. But like, having the finding the balance to be able to let go of these expectations and say you know what it's okay if i don't make it to a year he's yes. still going to be fine he's still going to yes. be healthy he's still going to grow i'm still going to love him you know and i think that that's what's most important um, you're absolutely, yeah, absolutely. right mm-hmm. you just brought up such an important topic that i think we should go into yeah because like it's it's talking about breastfeeding but it's really talking about the priority that you had as a mom mm-hmm. right Now, if we, I'm going to take it away from you so that you don't feel on the spot, but let's look at like a couple, right? That has that priority. Society is telling you, you might have this personal value that, you know, breastfed is best and all this kind of stuff. It's good for the bonding. It's good for their immune system. It's good for all these things. Okay, good. That's great. But if you are having a stressful experience, like you're not producing milk, it's painful. Um, You are spending more time worried about pumping and storing and freezing and all that kind of stuff. You can't eat certain things because I know I had to cut out dairy and all this kind of stuff just for my children when I was breastfeeding as well. If you cannot do those things, if breastfeeding is creating stress, guess what's happening? The stress cortisol is happening in your body, which then becomes in your milk and goes down to your baby. And Mm -hmm. I don't know about anybody else, but then I know that partners that are seeing their other partners stress over something so much with new parenthood may pull them into action to try to rescue, try to fix, try to make better. Mm -hmm. And these are exactly the types of conversations that partners need to have is what are our values together? And when do we need to adjust and shift our values because of the things that are outside of our control? Mm -hmm. Because there is a lot outside of our control when we bring new people into our family. (laughs) They have their own sense of self and their, their personality and who they are in this world is growing every day and we need to adapt and shift. And I love the way that you're drawing on your own personal experience to say, this could have been a time that more adjustments could have been made. And it is important for new parents and your listeners to hear that if you're holding yourself to one expectation as a parent, but it's impacting the way that you connect with your kid and impacting the way that you and your partner are connecting and communicating, it might be time to adjust and that's okay. Right. And that's where that attachment comes in. When you, when you're secure in your relationship, you feel comfortable and confident enough to go to your partner and say, Hey, I'm struggling. And that's kind of what I did with my husband. I said like, this is hard. I hate this. I am not enjoying this right now. And he saw the stress. He saw how down it got me. He said, well, let's figure out what, what's our game plan. What are we going to do so that you feel supported? And so that, like you said, ultimately this can be an enjoyable time for you because when you're hyper-focused on pumping, packing, um, feeding, storing, doing all of this other stuff, it takes away from your ability to bond and to connect with your new baby because your priorities are 
you know, elsewhere because of the pressure that you have on yourself and not knocking moms, you know, and whatever you decide to do, if you breastfeed, great. That's yes. awesome. If you don't breastfeed and you formula feed, great. Awesome. Great. You slowly pump and that's how you feed your child. Great. Awesome. We are not knocking. We're just saying like being able to have that freedom and let go of the pressure. And when you do feel it, communicating with those around you um, that are a part of your support network, especially your spouse, if they're there to help you along. You're absolutely right. And so if we talk back using your beautiful example with your husband and that secure dynamic, that's not always possible in couples, right? Mm -hmm. And so this should be one of the things that you can do to keep a pulse on your relationship health as you're parenting or bringing in a new child. Because, you know, parenting keeps going on even after the newborn phase, right? Is, right? Are we getting frustrated by the parenting conversations? Are we getting frustrated by the moment and the stress of life? Or are we frustrated with each other? Because there's a very big difference mm. there. Yeah. Because if you are struggling with parenting and that adjustment and the moments of stressful experiences, and then that all of a sudden becomes a frustration between the two of you. Can you have that secure bond with your partner and say, hey, I was totally projecting or I was just angry about what was happening and frustrated and irritated and I put that on you and I'm, I'm sorry. And then the, your partner is able to say like, look, I get it. It's, I, it's, it's gonna come back around. I'm gonna do the same thing. Right. If those conversations aren't having, happening, somewhat smoothly they don't need to look perfect but yeah that did hurt my feelings when you say that okay I get it I'm sorry if that type of conversation isn't happening there is no shame in saying we might need the support of a professional to try to strengthen our bond mm -hmm. because one of the reasons that those conversations aren't happening smoothly is because emotional trust and the sense of security and safety in your bond is ruptured or fractured a little bit right Right. Because if it's not really strong, then if I'm irritated at my husband and then I say, you know, my bad, he's like, no, that wasn't okay. And here's why. It's a clue to me that he's storing up some stuff that I maybe didn't know about or maybe I wasn't paying attention to. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of a, a like a little red flag indicator. Are we able to move through moments of frustration and stress as parents easily or are they really impacting our connection and love for each other? Right. So how do you help couples kind of navigate that if they realize, hey, we're at a crossroad where we're stuck and being able to figure out these things and being able to work together? How do you kind of help them through that from the lens that you um, kind of do your work through? Sure. I think that one of the things I mean, this is like a little silly to say out loud, I guess. But one of the things is really looking at what is the source of conflict? What is the source of conflict? You know, there's this thing that gets thrown out about uh, this saying that gets around thrown around about couple therapists like it's never about the dishes <laughs> right. right that is but so you know, true we all, we all know we fought about dishes or something <laughs> as silly as like that but it's never about the dishes but let's take a look at what are the repetitive conflicts or, or cycles that you and your partner are getting into so there's the content that we talk about and it was this example the dishes right but let's Peel I got to find that. I got to find this pose. I'm gonna look at it right now. But I have posted it a while back when um when you're in that place where you have like that passive aggressive like mm -hmm. um attitude. Oh my goodness, where is it? I'm gonna find it. 
<laughs> I laughed at it because I was like, this is so, oh, here it is. As a mom, sometimes we indirectly tell our husband off through our children. Mommy can't play now because she's the only reason this house gets clean. <laughs> that was, if I was a couple's therapist, I'd be like, okay, let's look at that. Yeah. What, what is not going, what is not being said? And one of the things that I think happens for couples once they have children is that the time and space and energy to take care of each other and nurture the relationship is just taken away. Right. You just don't have as much. And then you're tired. So you don't prioritize it. But if comments like that are happening, which they will, because life is stressful and we're imperfect human beings, it's holding yourself accountable to saying, ooh, what was that about? Right. And can I actually reflect on what I was really communicating in that moment and go there with my partner? And if I can't, then we need to have a conversation and say, we're struggling to com communicate effectively because one of the things that can happen as parents is there's a ton of competing needs. Mm -hmm. We've got the children's needs, you've got the relationship needs, but then you've got the individual needs. Right. And are we doing a good job of juggling all that we can? Right. That's often a question I um, use with my couples that I work with. I say, we're working towards getting your mindset to shift to a place of instead of asking or saying, I need you to do X, Y, and Z for me, or what can you do differently for me, to more so get into a place of what can I do differently in this situation to help improve it, to help de-escalate it, or to help make you feel better as my partner who I love and care for. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it is... The relational health is it's unique because it's probably the time these transitions, whether it's a transition of entering a child or a sibling, like your second or third or however many children you choose to have, or they transition into new schools or different age, the challenges keep coming. And so that attention to each other and the way you navigate it is important. And if you're struggling to prioritize that, what does that mean? Right. What's going on? You're probably running yourself a bit rabid. So how do you ask for more help? Mm -hmm. Because you need to take care of like we started in this conversation of if you don't feel like you have your partner to securely communicate your frustrations, your challenges, your needs to, because that connection doesn't feel safe, then you're going to try to get your needs met in other ways. And sometimes that can trickle down to the kids. And then we're starting a pretty unhealthy dynamic within the family. Right, right. So a part of the process is being able to have that open and honest communication with each other. I think another part of it too is like talking about what are the expectations that we have? So a lot of people, when you become a new parent, you don't really know what to expect. But that's why I think it's important to have like these check-ins. Um, the same way how companies and businesses, they have regular business meetings, they might have quarterly business meetings to check in what's the health of our company? Uh, what are things that we are failing at? What are things that we are doing good at? What are some changes we need to make? I feel like Amazing. it's very important for your relationship to also have regular check-ins. Where are we at? How are you feeling? Um, I know <laughs> for me and my husband, sometimes late nights, this is maybe before we have the second kid, but um, late at night, sometimes we're up at like midnight and we're just laying in the bed. It's completely dark. And those are the moments where we have those check-ins. Yes. It's like, how are you feeling? How are things going? Um, 
what are some goals that you have? What are some things that you would like to see happen differently? Um, yeah. And I know it's like a new year and some people say, hey, at the start of a new year, we're going to set some, um, I don't want to say, I don't like to say resolutions, but more so like intentions or expectations yeah. of yourself for the year of things you would like to accomplish. That's a perfect time to sit down with your partner and kind of assess, all right, this is what we did last year and we're real proud of it. These are some areas you're like, mm, I'm not so sure. <laughs> and this exactly. is what I would like to do differently. Yes, I love that. And I, I love the parallel that you're bringing into the business because it kind of is the same, right? Like if we talk about how to take care of your intimate relationship with your partner as you become parents, can you separate the business of parenting from your love and romantic right. connection right with each there. other? Like that's yeah. it right there, right? Because yeah. if you can't, we got to do some work. We right. got to look at why. Is it because of your own personal attachment trauma or things that you have struggled with in life that's coming alive now? Is it because your relationship isn't feeling good? Is it a combination of both? And important thing to say out loud, even if we don't get to dive into it, is there some postpartum experiences happening for the mom or the dad? Because we can't forget the dad's postpartum depression and anxiety because it's real. Can that also be impacting what's happening in your, in your relationship right now? Right. Hence the reason those check-ins are so important because I can think of it and I don't know if this is possible. Maybe you can enlighten me on this. I can almost think that you may be a person that has secure attachment, right? But you have the birth of the child and you have all of these changes, postpartum, all these expectations. Is it possible for your your attachment style to slightly shift or change until you guys are able to kind of address that? Yes, I love that you're going there because attachment, one of the things that I think can feel scary for people if they uncover that they didn't have a secure attachment with their um, caregiver mm -hmm. is that they think that this this is it. I, nothing is ever good. It's just, no, that's not the case. Attachment is, is, there's a plasticity to it and it can mold and shift and your relationship could feel really secure and close. And then if you're not paying attention to it, like your example of we've the parent the kids are now graduated high school and we're alone over time if you did not take the attention to move your your relationship back to security you could become insecure with one another mm. and that same plasticity exists when it comes to parenting as well you can have a secure base with your with your kiddo and then something could happen that really ruptures that but mm. you can always 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 repair mm. and that's what i want to make sure people hear is that you can always repair mm. your attachment with a, your emotional bond and sense of safety and security with either the child or your partner right you're right something that like came to my mind of course i'm like going into mom mode but <laughs> my son is now completely into finding nemo and finding dory so like mm -hmm. in finding dory one of the you know things she said is my dad said there's always another way and i think that that's the kind of attitude we have to have in our marriages of course there are certain situations where if you're unsafe if you're if your life is being threatened absolutely not there is no other way the way is to get out of that right but in situations where, where you both have a common goal which is to love each other the best you can there is always another way to kind of fix the issues that come up there's always another way to heal there's always another way to figure out how we can make this circumstance or situation better Yes, 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 yes. A thousand percent. Yes. Because 
if we go into parenting in our relationship thinking there's one way, that's where some conflict's gonna go in. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about maintaining communication and intimacy with your partner, can you hold on to the values of openness and curiosity and empathy and validation? Because I am likely to have a very different experience than my husband of the very same thing. But can him and I, and can your listeners out there, and can you and your husband, can you guys find a way to accept and hear and see your partner's perspective as is without battling it and trying to make it the same as yours. Yeah. Yeah. Something I'm like the, the analogy person. I don't know. It's just the way I see the world and the way things (laughs) make sense to me. But one of the things I um, often say to the couples that I work with is that communicating with your spouse is like playing a game of telephone. And I know at some point we've all played telephone as kids where you have a long line of you, you start off with one message and you see if by the time you get to the end, it's the same thing. 10 times out of 10, it is absolutely different from what was initially said. So I said, my couples, what that is, the telephone line that gets wrapped up is the assumptions are are the um feelings that you have could be some of the trauma that you went through that's kind of uh, funneling into what you're receiving from that message and then by the time it gets to you and you have processed it it's probably completely different from what your spouse or your partner was actually trying to say to you so being able to slow ourselves down something i like to do with my couples is um having them do like the uh, listener sender approach where I have one send a message and the other person has to repeat back to them their understanding of what they said. And I find that this is very useful and helpful because it, it happened for me in some situations, the partner might say, no, that's not it. <laughs> you know, so it provides them an opportunity to slow down, clarify what they're saying, dispel some of those assumptions because assumptions are not good. You know, no, no. Uh, my high school teacher, he said to us in um, science class, he said, um, w- when you assume it makes an ass out of you and me, which yep. is so true. So like when you let go of those assumptions, it allows you the ability to ask those curious questions, to to dig in for more so that you can have a better understanding. But if you approach the moment as if you already know the answer, you're not going to get the clarity that you need. You're not going to get the understanding that you need because you already assume that you know it all and you could very much so be wrong. <laughs> we mostly are. Yeah. Even if you have been with your partner forever and you guys have a good relationship, like you said, there is an internal process that that telephone game of looking at the behaviors, the cues, we make meaning of things, we make assumptions about things, and then we respond to the internal process that happens and then it becomes something that goes on between the two of us. And then your partner's got their own internal process too. Think about how much has gone unsaid. Right. And we can interpret tone in, I think it's an eighth of a second. Mm. So you know, when you're parenting and the kids and something, and then you got the tone and then you say it to your husband, boom. Yeah. Right. And so it is, we are already making meaning of each other more than we ever even realize. And if we do not slow down and we do not check out, hey, I'm hearing this from you. Mm-hmm. Or when you say that, I feel frustrated, angry, hurt, whatever the kids are, whatever's happening for you, then you're going to get into some trouble. 
Right. And I also think what's important is that if you're able to slow down and be curious, but you're still struggling to show empathy for each other, it might be time to ask for some help. Because Mm -hmm. I think it's a sign that we're spent, we're not feeling regulated, and we're not in a good place individually. Right. Right. Yeah. So what would you say are like three pointers maybe that you would give to um, couples or new parents who are just trying to navigate surviving, (laughs) surviving, you know, being a new parent, but also trying to make sure that they don't lose hold of their relationship. Of course. I think that the phrase that helped me the most when I was coming, becoming a parent was this two shall pass. Mm. And I think just that perspective that everything is a phase and everything is temporary when it comes to raising little ones is a real, and I mean, I think it's important for this day and age right now, this too shall pass because Mm -hmm. we are going to be resilient through this. And there have been parents long before us that had way less resources than we have now here in 2021 that have figured this out and (laughs) we, that we, it's going to pass and asking for help, I think is something that I would say is the first thing to keep in the forefront, because I will do a little self-disclosure and say that because of my own postpartum anxiety with my first child, as a result of feeling insecurely attached from my early caregivers, I feel that I was too anxious to leave my, my kiddo. Mm. I was too, cause I did not want her to ever feel alone. I did mm-hmm. not want her to ever feel like she, that I wasn't there for her to nurture her. If she was crying or upset, I wanted to be there for her all the time, but that also wasn't healthy because like I said, the security is having her know that she can feel discomfort and navigate it through herself, but I'm always going to be there too. Right. Right. Yeah. So asking for help is definitely the first pointer. This too shall pass. So ask for help. (laughs) (laughs) It's the first pointer, whether that is with extended family, whether that is getting into some support groups or whether that is talking to peers or licensed professionals of hey, we're struggling here, or hey, you guys have kids, isn't this a nightmare sometimes? And just asking for help, it it adds to the normalization of how hard it can be when there's a society out there that really loves to tell us how great this time in our lives should be. And we really need to talk about how hard it is too. Yes, yes, yes. And I, I don't know, I almost question like, is there a way and I know we talked about this before we um kind of you know, started recording, but like, I think we need to get to a place where we start prioritizing how to incorporate mental health professionals into the treatment team. Once a woman says I'm pregnant. So we know that automatically, once you say I'm pregnant, you're going to call your OB, they're going to set you up and you go in for that first appointment. I feel like at some point in the beginning of that process and throughout that process, you should be having uh, regular check-ins with a mental health professional and it doesn't mean something's wrong with you. No. Like, therapy isn't about, and I think we need to dispel this belief that therapy is only for people who are mentally ill. It is not. Like therapy no. is for people who are struggling, regular people like you and me who are struggling just to navigate life. Like, life, I mean, can we talk about 2020? <laughs> yes. And I feel yes. like everyone, I don't care who you are, pastor, therapist, lawyer, doctor, firefighter, whatever your role is, you have been impacted in some way by all that's happened in 2020. So like, I feel like that speaks to 
we all need to be supported in one way or another. So whether yeah. that's getting a counselor, whether that is, you know, talking to your pastor and having some support that way, because some pastors are trained um, as um, like psychology majors or like as family therapists as well. So just finding someone, a, a mental health professional to talk to, to kind of process through the help that you need, it's very important. You know, so you're yeah, absolutely right there. <laughs> no, we're going to do that because Hayes is going to take over the world for uh, maternal mental health. And so while we're waiting for her to do that, if you're listening to this, you can incorporate a mental health therapist in your treatment team, even if it's not recommended by your OB or anybody else around you, you can do that. And so you can call and say, I'm pregnant. I want to look at my attachment style. Was I securely attached to my parents? Let's go there. Am I securely attached to my partner, whoever that is? Mm -hmm. And if not, what work can I do now? How can I prioritize all of this and be predictive about what's to come? Shore up my relationship and my number one support, right? My partner. How can we shore up our connection with each other now so that when this comes, we do have that security to have those irritated moments with each other. I do have a sense of the way that I attach to my parents and what I wanna tweak or shift to do different for my kiddos. And so all of that stuff can be done. And how do you bond in utero too, right? That's a very real thing. Tons of science out there about that. For for, um, if if you are a male, female partner in utero, if you're any other type of partner, if you're getting surrogacy, there are all types of ways that you can bond with the baby in your utero, your utero, which is part of secure attachment. Right, right. So we have um, ask for help. Yes, ask for help. This too shall pass. Ask for help. The other thing is, I think that you need to talk about grounding yourself with your partner in your con- in your commitment and partnership with each other. Mm-hmm. Because That's if important. you are not, it is right. And mm-hmm. I think you and I came up with something good, right? Like. If you cannot separate the business of parenting from your relationship, what is going on? Right. What is happening? Because it doesn't mean that that's bad or good. It just means we need to figure it out so that we can do that. Because parenting conversations, while they are emotionally charged, they shouldn't always be a reflection of your relationship between the two of you. Right. That should be safe and secure enough to have these. And if it's not, let's make it secure because attachment is plastic. And you can make it so that it is better and more connected. Right. So we got the asking for help and then grounding yourself in your commitment to your partnership mm-hmm. is my is the second one that I'm coming up. Is there anything you want to add to that? You feel no, good about I, that? I think that was perfect. Like, yes. yeah, it's very important for you, for you to do that as a couple. You have to be able to recognize that your uh, relationship as a partnership comes first. Because if you can't get that right, you're going to struggle with being able to effectively be uh, parents together and navigate in that relationship. So, I mean, I, I think you said it perfectly. Yes. Yes. So there's that one. And then my third one, which probably won't be a surprise if people have been hearing me babble on this whole time, is you got to communicate. Yeah. And if you are not communicating, and I'm talking about over communication, one of the things that I've said to multiple couples that I've worked with is, you know how you watch those movies and you get really aligned to a character because I have that voiceover of their thoughts. Mm -hmm. You get aligned to that person because you understand what's happening in their mind. So you have empathy for them. 
Right. Do do that with your partner. Say everything out loud. Right. Say it all out loud so that you <laughs> have empathy and understanding for each partner. And that makes way for curiosity and empathy and validation. Yes, I love it. So um ask for help. Ask for help. Mm-hmm. Ground yourself. Ground yourself okay. in your marriage and in your relationship and mm-hmm. communicate. Communication is so important. Yes, um, yes. I mean, we can go on and on just about like the topic of communication and how to do that effectively because we are really good. We can be really good at mm-hmm. communicating in a way that's not beneficial, um, yes. whether it's in your romantic relationship with friends, with family. Um, we can get really good at doing that, but I think it's really important for us to over communicate, as Melissa said, especially yes. in marriage. <laughs> say it all out loud because it gives the opportunity. And if you're saying it all out loud to each other, you're sharing your internal process externally. Right. If you're saying it all out loud and you're struggling, then it's time to ask for help and go get support of a couple therapist that is like Hazel and trained and specializes in this part of people's lives because there's no shame in needing support. And there's a statistic out there that says couples go to a couple therapy six years too late. Mm. So just go sooner. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Imagine the work you could do if you went a lot sooner than waiting six years in and something you just said just made me think of um, what men often say, like, I'm not a mind reader. Like, I don't know what's going on in your head. Like, you have to mm-hmm. tell me. And I think that that's so true. Even though there's a level of um, comfort and um, awareness of your partner and who they are because you've been with them for X amount of years, you still don't know everything that's going on in their head. You know, there might be some things that they haven't even worked through yet that you don't even know about that's... uh kind of impacting the thoughts that they're having or the way they're operating in the relationship. So the only way for both of you to be aware is to talk about it, communicate about it, let them know what's going on on the inside because they can't read your mind, which is so true. (laughs) Yes, yes, they can't. And so I think it all ties together is that we've talked about so many important things together today. And I think that there's like tentacles to each of the topics right there really are like we could talk for hours and hours and hours about all of this because the the couple's partnership is the glue to creating generations of healthy relationships to come and so asking for help grounding yourself in your commitment and partnership and then communicate and when if those things especially that grounding and that communication is still you're still struggling and go to go to back to number one and ask for help of someone that you trust, someone that's skilled and an expert, because all all couples and all families deserve the attention to repair and work through the tough stuff. Right, right. 